So Money Episode 378, Caroline Siniza Levine. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Mile IQ, the number one mileage tracker app. More than a million Americans trust Mile IQ to automatically log their drives every day. It's the only mileage tracker app that detects, logs, and calculates your drives for you automatically. It's incredibly easy to use and keeps all of your drives securely stored in the cloud. The average Mile IQ user logs 547 bucks a month in drives. That's $6,000 a year in miles you could be claiming. The app has a five-star rating both in Google Play and iTunes app stores. So stop wasting time manually tracking your miles and stop losing money that you should be redeeming. MileIQ does all the work letting you focus on what's actually important like your business and driving. You can download the MileIQ app for free and start your free trial right away. Here's how you do it. Text so money one word, to 31996. You're going to get a 40-dry free trial. Create an account this week, though, and you'll get 20% off an annual plan. Standard messaging and data rates apply, so keep that in mind. And just text so money to 31996 for a 40-dry free trial, and then the 20% discount applies if you create an account this week. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back. I am your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and I'm very excited to introduce to you today's guest. She is the career expert of career experts. Caroline Siniza Levine is the co-founder of Six Figure Start. It's a coaching business for professional and personal success. And Caroline's work with executives from major big deal companies that we all know well, and maybe some of you work at these places, including American Express, Amazon, Condé Nast, Gilt, Goldman Sachs, Google, and many others, and very excited to say that she has a new book out called Jump Ship, 10 Steps to Starting a New Career. I love Caroline because her advice is really fresh. And while she's a career expert, she's not going to give you some BS and tell you that your career is the most important thing in your life. She'll be the first to tell you that it isn't. And this wouldn't be an episode about careers if we didn't dive into negotiation. We talk all about how to do it. And you're going to love this, how to deal with a crazy boss. Do you have one? You might have one in the future. What to do with a difficult boss who's making your job miserable. And I personally have some experience with this and I give some advice. Here we go. Here's Caroline Siniza Levine. Caroline Siniza Levine, welcome to So Money. Can't wait to talk all about the awkward career questions we all have. Important career questions too, like how do I negotiate my raise? How do I advance my career? How do I switch careers? You're the premier expert. Congratulations on your new book. Well, thanks for inviting me. First things first um, is Jump Ship, 10 Steps to Starting a New Career. That's your new book. How did you get into this niche? I understand you yourself have had a very storied past when it comes to you know, career, job searching. So you come to this with a, with a lot of personal anecdotes. 
Yeah. So I came from a big corporate background. I graduated from Barnard College. I was a summer analyst at Goldman Sachs. I worked as a strategy consultant to start my career um, at Oliver Wyman. And then I moved into recruiting. And that's what I would say is when I moved into this whole career space. Because what happened was I started recruiting in retained executive search for the consulting industry. So that was a career shift. And that really got me thinking about careers. And I was working with the corporations who are hiring people. But in that job, you do coach people. You know, you listen to their motivations. You're probing people, but you're also coaching them um, when it's an opportunity that isn't quite right for them. And then sometimes you're coaching your client too about who they should be hiring. And so that really brought me into this career advice space. And I stayed in recruiting up until 2008 when I joined a former recruiting colleague and we co-founded Six Figure Start. And all of our coaches are former recruiters. So we bring that hiring perspective to our clients. One of the questions I often get on the show or through the Ask Farnoosh Friday episodes is, should I hire a career coach? And more specifically, should I hire a resume coach? What about a resume coach? Are resumes even relevant anymore? So certainly you need a resume. I always tell my clients, even my senior clients, to try to do the resume themselves. I'll obviously review it and I'll give them my feedback, but I really like the client to be very hands-on in the resume because the way that they structure the information and the way that they decide what to include, what to omit, what to highlight, that really is their voice. And that really is what they want to put forward in terms of their career. So I like to advise my clients on that. But no, I don't think someone else should be writing it for you. And I think that people do overemphasize the resume and think that if they have the perfect resume, they'll get a job. It just doesn't work like that. Another question for you. I'm so glad to have you on the show because I have so many, I think career and and personal finance are are so intersected. And so I have a lot of interest in this space. And, you know, just looking at some of the new headlines recently, we're learning that I think it was in 2015, 15% of young adults quit their jobs. Millennials are fearless. They're finding that in some cases, they don't like their jobs and they quit. Unlike their parents' generation, where you stuck with it, <laughs> you know, you just sort of stayed the course and you, um, there wasn't a whole lot of movement. But now they're saying that, you know, by the time, um, the average job shift is about seven, seven different jobs. And so what do you think that says about not only millennials, but also the, the, the career climate right now, the corporate climate? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is the corporate climate. I mean, lifetime employment is just a thing of the past. And so on the employee side, people are feeling, well, I don't have the security. So my only security is to create this portfolio career and to get, you know, the most experience that I can get. And many times that means leaving. It's interesting. This actually came up in a group of recruiters the other day talking about how do you look at resumes with a lot of job hopping. And early in your career, 
it's more forgivable than later in your career. The reality is, is that the more senior you get, you're working on initiatives and you have a span of responsibility that requires you're there for a few years so that you can live through a market cycle so you can actually get things done. So in the beginning, it's one thing to stay somewhere for a year, two years and move on. Um, But if you really, you can't really build a career that way because when you start managing projects and managing teams, and managing lines of business, you just can't get results in that short amount of time. So then what would be your advice to a millennial, a young person who uh, is still trying to figure out their way? Maybe they got that first job, second job because it was a job and they needed a job and they have student loans and it pays the bills, but they haven't quite you know, felt like they've arrived at a, at a career destiny or even just a job that they love going to on Monday mornings. You know, something that I bring up in my book, Jump Ship, is this notion that career change is not the first answer to the problem. In fact, it should be the last thing that you try because career change is so disruptive. And if you think about all the things that are impacted by a change of job, I mean, this is your livelihood. You want to be sure that this is the right thing to do. So I tell people, young or experienced. I tell people to try something else before they change their job. And so one simple thing is to try changing what you do in your free time. You know, sometimes people don't feel fulfilled in their job because they're not fulfilled in their life. So, you know, being more judicious about how you spend your free time is one easy way of seeing if, am I just unhappy in general or is it really something about my job? And there are things you can change about your job without necessarily getting rid of it. And what, what are some examples? So some examples are, you know, you really want to get to the root is what is the, the problem with your job? Sometimes it might be an issue with people that you're working with, that you're not standing up to, you know, the chatty colleague that perhaps comes to your cubicle and takes your time and, and makes you late for everything, or perhaps someone who's taking credit for your work, or perhaps a boss who's micromanaging, or perhaps you feel underpaid, or perhaps you're not working on projects that are interesting to you. And there are projects in your department that perhaps other people are working on that you would prefer to work on. And so these things are fixable by other means than quitting. You know, for colleagues where you might be having issues with, this is where you need to learn how to communicate, how to set boundaries. For a boss that isn't ideal, you need to learn how to manage up. Um, and again, this doesn't have to be confrontational. This is about developing good communication and relationship building skills, negotiation skills, frankly, as well. Negotiation is not just about salary and things like being undervalued or perhaps wanting to work on different things. These are things that you should bring up in an annual review. And if your company doesn't have a formal review process, take it on yourself to schedule something with your boss and talk about your career and some things that you might want to change. If you're doing a good job, they're going to want to keep you. But that's where it lies, right? The onus is on you. Hopefully you are indeed doing a good job. I had a really, uh, how do I say, unfortunate, bad, terrible, awful, stomach-wrenching relationship with a, a boss I, in my early days. And um, I don't think they realized, this person realized just how bad it was for me, but it was bad. And to the point where I almost considered quitting, but the idea of quitting was just wasn't something that I, it wasn't even in my vocabulary, like quit. No, I mean, that I, for me, this was like my quote unquote dream job. And then I arrived and realized I really didn't like the 
person I was paired with. And so um, it was my father actually who gave me some really great advice. He said, okay, well, you have two options here. You can either quit, which I wasn't even going to consider. And the other option is, like you said, you can manage up. You need to manage this relationship that you have as opposed to continuously being the victim, um, you know, where you're completely internalizing, getting really emotional, get, make, making this person's behavior and attitude impact you so badly that um, you need to learn how to sort of manage yourself and manage this person in a way that you can get your job done and somehow find fulfillment. And and once that, I didn't even know that was even an option, but once that was told to me with examples, I, I suddenly felt so empowered. And you know what? I ended up staying at that job for another you know two, three years and um, walked away with an incredible experience. So sometimes it's just a mindset shift. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about um, being underpaid as a potential reason why you're unhappy in your job. And of course, I think we've all been there if we're not currently. (laughs) How do you fix that? Really? Yeah. So there are a number of steps that that you should take. I mean, first of all, you want to look at what I call the internal data. So this is about you and your performance and really having a candid discussion with yourself around what you've accomplished in the last year and and what you're worth to the company. What did you contribute? And so part of that is, is taking the responsibility for figuring out, well, how does my company make money and how am I contributing to that? Or how do, how could they possibly save money and how did I contribute to that? You also want to look at the external data. So this is the market data. Look at people in your position in similar companies. You can't be at a Fortune 500 company and compare yourself to, you know, someone at a mom and pop company. Hopefully, you know, you're making, <laughs> hopefully you're making more, but you want to look at the external data and, and see where you are to the market. That might give you an indication that, oh my goodness, I thought I was underpaid, but that's actually what the going rate is for this position. Or maybe you'll find that, oh my goodness, I am underpaid and I have some competitor data that shows that's the case. You also want to look at the process at your own company and and really look at when are raises decided, when do people start participating perhaps in the bonus pool or, or in things like equity, if these are things that you're interested in getting. And Realize that if you are going to make a move and and meet with your boss and ask for a raise, you want to do that well before the raises are going to be decided. Sometimes you might put a brilliant case together and approach your boss. And if budgets have already been confirmed, you know, you're out of luck till the next cycle. So you want to do some digging in your own company. If you have a friend in human resources or so they might be able to tell you, you know, again, when promotions when raises are decided. So you want to know how the process works. And then you time your request for uh, when, you know, before those types of decisions are made. You want to practice what you're going to say. So what is the case going to be? Are you going to point to the competitor's data? Are you going to point to what you've done? Ideally, it's a, a mix of both. Brainstorm on what your boss might object to. Maybe they're going to say, no, you didn't really do that, in which case you want to be prepared with whatever proof you have, or maybe your boss will push back on the market data you're sharing. And so you want to be able to share at least how you know this information. And then you also want to brainstorm some alternatives. If your boss says, look, you know, I think you did do a really good job, but the reality is 
you're at the upper band of, of where you are. And I, you know, my hands are tied. And so maybe you want to brainstorm, okay, if there's no movement on the base, would I be happy with a spot bonus? Would I want perhaps to be uh, participating in the bonus pool. Maybe, you know, I can join the variable bonus pool, or maybe I can get, you know, some equity if it's a startup situation or stock options, if it's a, you know, if it's a, a larger company. So, you know, there are things that you can ask for. Would you be happy if you got a perk, like perhaps going to a conference or getting some tuition reimbursement or getting an extra week's vacation? What are some ways that you can uh, push back if your boss says no to the immediate thing that you're asking for. And then you want to actually role play this discussion. It's amazing to me that people will walk into a meeting as important as this, and maybe they play the conversation over in their mind, but they haven't actually tried to negotiate. And when you don't negotiate, come on, you're going to be out of practice. So you want to sit with a friendly person, but someone who knows. So again, maybe a friend in HR, not necessarily in your company, but uh, a friend in HR, an experienced professional, that's perhaps a mentor to you and role play the negotiation mm. so that the first time these words leave your lips, it is not in the meeting with your boss. So there is this thing called the gender wage gap. <laughs> <laughs> and some people have written in to me even asking what should women specifically asking, what should they do when they discover that a male colleague who has the same responsibilities, same rank and file is earning more? Should that be something that they address to their superior, their, their hiring manager, their boss? My gut says, don't go there. I mean, I just don't think that should be the basis of why you're going and asking for a raise. It would upset me and as it would upset anybody else to learn that. But I think that that's, um, I don't know. I just feel like you should go in and, and negotiate for yourself on your, on your behalf for all the great work that you've done, as opposed to like making it a gender issue, even though there may be some biases going on. What do you think? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't make it a gender issue. I wouldn't make it a colleague issue. So I don't care if it's a man, a woman, a house plant, or a pet. I wouldn't be pointing. <laughs> I hope to you're anybody making more else. than a house plant. <laughs> I, I would hope so too, but you just don't know. Um, I wouldn't point to anyone within the company. I mean, because it begs the question: How did you find out that information? Mm-hmm. For many companies, they really want to hold the compensation information close to the vest. It's confidential information. You might get in trouble for bringing up that information. Whoever told you could get in trouble. So it just opens up a whole can of worms. I would group it into talking about the market data, saying that your understanding is that this role pays X. You know, so in that way, you're using your colleague as a data point, but you're not outing them. Yes. Time now to shed some light and say thank you to one of our sponsors on the show today, Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. 
You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy. Too busy. Too busy worrying about your budget. Too busy scheduling appointments. Too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. So many of us still don't ask for a raise. I think because we think that the sheer act of asking for more may show that we're um, not satisfied, we're ungrateful. I mean, these are all like falsehoods that we tell ourselves. It's These are these mind traps. How do we get over the psychological barriers of actually finding the confidence and the, uh, the, the I guess, clarity, confidence to go out and ask for a raise? Well, this is where the business case really helps. I think that when you start looking at your performance data and when you start looking at the market data, I think you'll realize that, wow, you know, I do add value and it makes sense, you know, that the the company should pay me more. And if you see a big disconnect with the market, you know, it's actually a good thing for you to bring that up to your employer because they might not realize it and they might be falling behind and not being competitive and they might really appreciate that you brought it to their attention in a way that's non-confrontational. So I do think that when you open a negotiation, you should actually open with where there's agreement. So in a job offer situation, you're opening with, I'm really excited about working here and I'm honored that you gave me this offer. So you open with, this is what we have in common. And similarly, in a salary negotiation, you open with, you know, I want to thank you for being a terrific boss and I'm really excited about, you know, what we've accomplished together. And, you know, I'm really excited about working here and I've really enjoyed my time here. So you open with something that's, that's super positive. And then you bring the discussion to, you know, here's this issue, right? And then you can point to the market data or, you know, the disconnect with your own personal results. So I think you need to get into a situation with, yourself, that you're comfortable, that you actually deserve what you're asking for, that it's justified. And that, you know, you just have to get over that fear. That's where the role play helps too. Mm -hmm. I find that when you, when you rehearse it and you hear yourself saying it, yeah, you get used to the higher salary when it leaves your lips. And is it safe to say that when you go in and ask for a raise and you negotiate right, that there's really nothing to lose? There isn't anything to lose. People don't get fired for negotiating. And in fact, companies respect you because you're standing up for your value. And it's, it's, it's a show of courage and it's a show of confidence on your part that you're bringing this to their attention. When was the first time you asked for a raise? Can you take me to that moment? Yeah, it was actually about a year after I started my first job. So, and it's a situation where the company actually um, thanked their uh, first year hires for bringing this issue to their attention. It was a very, very fast growing company. 
and the base salaries and just the whole structure of the competition wasn't really competitive with some of the bigger players and they were pushing up against the bigger players, but they were still relatively young in terms of their development. So kind of paying young, you know, paying like they were a smaller company than they were. And a group of us, um, all decided at the same time, it was almost like the cast of friends, you know, when they negotiated their compensation and asked, all asked for the same thing. We decided as a group to bring this to senior management attention that they were falling behind in terms of the market. So we really couched it as, hey, this is something that we're seeing and we should do something about this. Did you go on strike or threaten to go on strike? (laughs) We didn't go on strike. We worked really hard at our jobs and that's part of that internal data, right? We made sure that the people who were representing the first year hires were all well-liked and doing really well and that this turned into more a discussion about just the broader market and what the company should do uh, for the class as a whole and not necessarily any one person. So there was still merit rate but it was about actually moving uh, the target compensation up for everybody. And did it work? It did. It did. So we got, you know, they really marked themselves to market because we made a good argument. They poked around and looked at their competitors and they weren't competitive. Excellent. That is great. And it happened, would you say it happened pretty soon after you asked for it or was it like a slow process? You know, this was about 20 years ago. I'm dating myself here, but it was, it took several months, which might sound like a really long time. But again, it was something that impacted everyone. It was a big impact. And in the course of a career, you know, a few months isn't going to mean a lot. And when you think about how your past salary is such a strong anchor for future salaries, when you get that bump, it's meaningful for the rest of your life. So important that you brought that up, true, because especially for women who, on average, we don't ask for more money on the job in the beginning of our careers as often as men do. I think the studies have found that that's like leaving a million dollars on the table over the life span of your career. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And when you think about what happens with your base salary, that's what typically bonuses are based off of and future compensation. So it just compounds. I would love to learn a little bit more about your financial mindset. So uh, I agree with everything you've just said about career and negotiating and, you know, how you shouldn't just assume you have to switch careers because that's really disruptive. Think about you know, maybe changing your, your activities, your hobbies, or just how you're spending your hours because that might be attributing to your unhappiness. When it comes to money, what's your financial philosophy? Do you have one? Well, I think one of the things that I believe is that everything's negotiable. And I say that because we were talking about negotiation, but it's a, it's a broader life philosophy. It's this notion that you can ask. It doesn't hurt to ask and to really force yourself to think if everything is indeed negotiable, you know, am I somehow assuming something isn't fixable or isn't stretchable or isn't flexible just because I'm unwilling to ask or because I have this this limit, this cap on on what might be. So that could be about uh, relationships. It could be about flexibility. You know, it doesn't, again, have to be about money. It could be about, gee, I'm not going to get that project because you have to have been here for several years or you have to have done this thing before getting this thing. Mm-hmm. Again, everything's negotiable. You should ask. 
I usually ask guests about a financial failure, but would, did you have, ever experience like a career failure or something that was like a hiccup in your career as you were kind of figuring things out job wise? You know, it's funny because I'm a coach. I'm going to talk about the coaching that I've gotten. So I have spent, I, I want to say over a hundred thousand dollars on what? professional and personal development. This is over the years, you know, things, books, classes, conferences, one-on-one coaching. So, I mean, it all adds up. And when I look at what I've spent and what has worked and what hasn't worked, it's one of these things where when something hasn't worked, it's been a situation where I think I was looking for a shortcut. I was looking for a magic bullet. And so, you know, I fall into that trap like a lot of people do. Sometimes I'll, I'll get a, a client who comes to me and says they want a career coach because they want me to find them a job. They want me to tell them what to do. And it's not up to me to decide. And I'm certainly not going to be the one in the interviews with them. And so I found that to be the case with me, too. Sometimes, you know, I'm struggling with something perhaps in my business or or, or with a goal. And, you know, I'm looking for a quick fix instead of bearing down and doing some of the tough work. LinkedIn. What do you think about LinkedIn? I mean, I find that it's not very entrepreneur friendly. I, you know, it's changing so much all the time, these social media platforms. And so it's hard to keep track. I always say that one thing you should be doing on a regular basis is checking your privacy settings, just making sure that everything you think is happening is happening. So that's one complaint that I have just about social media in general. But I do think that LinkedIn um, is... I don't know if it's entrepreneur friendly, but it's certainly branding friendly. I mean, I I certainly think that it's a great platform. It's got good SEO that if you are, say, a career changer, whether that's employee to entrepreneur or changing industries or changing roles, I think it is a great platform for starting to curate either things that you're publishing or perhaps sharing what other people are publishing to show that you have a different kind of knowledge or a different kind of focus. You can put things there like video and presentations that you can't put on a static resume. So I do like it for branding. Caroline, what was your childhood like? What kind of uh, financial experiences did you have as a kid? Maybe if you could share one memory that really was, you know, just that it was a really impactful experience. You know, I used to go grocery shopping with my great aunt. So I would grocery shop for the family and I I could have won the prices right. I was, oh, I was in elementary school. I mean, I was five, six, (laughs) I would tag along. And so I knew prices, I knew price per serving, you know, so I was very, I don't know if I got it by osmosis or, or just because, you know, my, my great aunt, she was also very cost conscious and value conscious. And so I really looked at things like price per serving instead of just getting fooled because there was a coupon or because the packaging was nice. You know, I really (laughs) measured, is it, is it just big packaging or are they giving you more? And I kept that for the rest of my life. You know, the, the details, looking at the details. And when I, you know, bringing it back to, to career and even salary, you know, I remember coaching a very senior executive and we were going through his package and he was negotiating back and forth around the base salary. And because there were so many bonuses and, and special things that were tied to the base, I said, are you checking to make sure that that all of the other things are changing as well since this number is changing? 
and he had to go back and he had to renegotiate stuff. And it's, you know, again, it's just, just look, just ask, make sure that you check those details. Mm. Well, Caroline, our time is up. I, I, <laughs> this is, are we, are we just two nerds talking about career? And I think our, I think listeners have gotten so much out of this. Personally, I've learned a lot too. Tell us a little bit more about the book. You have 10 bits of advice here, but what's like your favorite from the book? So my favorite is what I had shared before. Change everything else first. That's actually step one. I always tell people it might be enough and then you don't have to do something so disruptive. And if it's not, if you really do want to change careers, getting your life in order just sets you up to actually change careers in a good, proactive and thoughtful way. So it sounds like career is should be the second thing you think about. Well, absolutely. I mean, your career supports your life, right? Let's not right. let the uh, tail wag the dog. Well, I, I, you know, it's it sounds like an obvious distinction, but I think so many of us get buried by work and career really takes over. And I think um, think that your book gives us a lot of hope and I'm really happy that we got a chance to connect. Terrific. Thanks for inviting me to the show. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Caroline, the book again is called Jump Ship, 10 Steps to Starting a New Career. Her website is sixfigurestart.com and you can follow her on Twitter at Presco Presco. That's pretty cool. All this information back at somoneypodcast.com. If you missed any of it, whether it was the audio, if you want the transcript, if you want these links, if you want to ask me a question too, you can do that at somoneypodcast.com. Just click on Ask Farnoosh. I make it really straightforward. Send me your question and every Friday I tackle your money questions. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money.